Hello, and welcome to the New South Podcast. You're listening to Laurie Beard, and this podcast is on, appropriately for the time of its release, um, love and partnership, more or less. I mean, I think really this podcast is an answer to the question of how to find fulfillment or how to stop wondering if this is all there is. My dissatisfied and am I the only one? And if I am, is there something wrong with me? You know, and the answer, of course, is no, there's nothing wrong with you. If you're dissatisfied, that is a very good indication that there is something missing for you. And this podcast is all about what that missing piece might be. And um, only announcement is that Elevate, a new beginning for our bodies. Am I going to do that every time? No, but maybe. <laughs> Um, has started and it's gone very, very well. We're um, halfway through and there may be an option to participate in a more minimal, minimal way. I mean, we're having videos, we're having live discussions, we're having a forum discussion, we're having constant um, updating on the group page that's part of the forum and live chat rooms and kind of all this different stuff to work through the material that we are needing to work through to get to a better place and to elevate and um, stay tuned because there'll be a way possibly for you to be involved even if you've not been able to make it to class this time around. If this was not your bus, you did not make this bus, that is totally okay. There will be more buses, more opportunities to come and play. So let's get started. So I want to start with a story about when I was Theta at the University of Virginia. Here in the South, we have these things called sororities and fraternities. You have you have them outside of the South, but in the South they are very um, popular, maybe is a word, or um, important to some people. And I went to the University of Virginia, and the Greek system is pretty substantial there. Not as sub- substantial as perhaps like more Southern schools, like schools that are more deeply physically located in the South, but I was in the Theta sorority and my sorority had different positions of kind of like leadership. And the first one that I was elected to was chaplain. So I was a second year in college, which at UVA, that's what we call sophomore. And I was the chaplain of my sorority. What does that mean? It means that you're like in charge of rituals. So the ritual of um, the new people joining the sorority, there's a, um, there are tons of different rituals around like getting engaged, blah, 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 when different things happen in the lives of your collegiate um, sorority members. But the weekly responsibility of the chaplain is to read the Bible to your sorority members. So just to paint a picture for a second, you guys, because... Um, you may have no idea what it would be like to be in the basement of the Theta house and read the Bible (laughs) to all these older girls. For the most part, they're older than me at that point in time and some younger girls. But um, my sorority was definitely not filled with people who went to church or even really like grew up going to church. Like it was much, actually not particularly Southern, like the people in my sorority from heavily the Northeast, the West Coast, very, um, very diverse, a lot of -of out-of-state students, not a ton of kids from Virginia, and the um, overall vibe was, like, a fun party vibe, like, pretty wild and wooly, I would say, was, would be a good way to describe my sorority, which was not exactly my uh, mode of operation in college. If you follow any of my stuff, like, you've kind of picked up on the fact that I'm 
kind of like a nerd, <laughs> a focused, intense nerd. So, um, but I loved when I went through Rush, I just really, really resonated with like the free spiritedness of um, the culture and that sorority. And for a m- bunch of other reasons, it felt like a good match for me, a good balance for me. So, but I'm sitting in the room full of a basement, first of all, and filled with girls that are older than me that are very cool, way cooler than I am who a lot of these kids like went to boarding school and stuff. So also there's like this era of sophistication, at least from my perspective of these kids who like they moved out when they were 15, you know, and like there was just a ton of privilege that goes along with being able to go to boarding school that, or sophistication too, maybe. I mean, there's just a lot wrapped up in that, um, the, the, the product that is put out at the end of those four years of boarding school that, felt, um, elite to me. Um, a lot of very fashionable people just, I didn't even know the term fashion forward, but I heard it used to describe this girl that I actually ended up training, uh, with, with for a marathon. And I'm like, what does that even mean fashion forward? And like, honestly, what's fashion? You know, like I always liked clothes, but I, my, my environment did not have like Vogue magazine in it, or we did not like go to Neiman's or, um, New York or something like we didn't shop in, we'd shopped in, you know, department stores or kind of local whatever. And so just all this, um, kind of exotic elite feeling, uh, intimidating would be another good word to be in the basement of the theta house and about to read the Bible to a bunch of these girls as part of the weekly meeting. And, the girl who had done it when I joined, her objective was to read it as quickly as possible. That was the point for her. And it was, it just made the whole thing like painful. I felt like it was kind of embarrassing. Like, I mean, this is, we're all grown ups here. Like we can just maybe have this be a point of learning or something. I mean, I, I didn't like how she did it. And so when I was elected, I think I was elected because I was a little bit of good at tissues, relatively speaking. Um, I was like, I'm going to make this something better. So first off, I just started reading the Bible verse. And the Bible verse is 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love. So there's a whole deeper set of irony to the fact that I'm, you know, 19. So, you know, no, nothing, (laughs) nothing about love. I mean, not not even my age as much as like that love is just a very sophisticated concept that I think phases of life teach us what they mean. You know, I mean, you love your pets, but then when you are a grown up and have your own pet and then you lose a pet, I mean, that's a whole different lesson about love. And when you have children or your siblings have children and the way you feel towards those little babies is a whole different lesson on love. So anyway, I hadn't had most of, the education that I will eventually get on love and I'm supposed to like read this Bible verse to these people on it. And when you really kind of take a couple steps back from behavior in college and you think about um, the excess, like there's a lot of heavy drinking, obviously in the sorority in the Greek kind of system, maybe you don't know that, but it's um, a lot of fraternities and sororities are very social creatures. And so the medium for socializing in a lot of cases is parties. Like they'll have, you'll have a mixer with some fraternity or you'll um, have a date party. And 
at these parties, almost always there's drinking as like the social lubricant and for whatever other reasons and kind of an excess. And like, but what's it all for? Right. So yeah, it fills, fills your days and nights. Yeah. It's kind of the thing that's always been done, but if you really like stop and think like, why, why are we, ha- why do we have the Greek system? Why are we having these parties? Why are the mixers not with the sorority and the sorority? Right. And this is also like a very traditional system where like girls date boys and boys date girls. And you know, that's kind of like also has its own antiquated connotations that today are not going to um, be complete by any stretch. But, you know, you think about why you have this entire system and is it, isn't it kind of define love? I mean, back in the day, it was a means to finding like a husband or a wife, you know, back in the, back in the day. Right. Cause like, um, for example, like my sorority, if you go to a, a fraternity party and you say, Oh, I'm in this sorority and your sorority is like in good stead with that fraternity, you get in automatically. Right. So it's like a social calling card, but for what to meet men, right. For what? I mean, in theory to find love. So here we are in the basement of this love house <laughs> about to read a Bible verse on love to these people. And all we want to do is find love anyway. And yet reading this is like such a formality in the meeting that the person before me would just race through it. Like they were the Michelin man or like, no, what was it? The matchbox. Um, those tiny little cars where the guy on the commercial talked really, really, really fast. At least when I was a kid, which, uh, kind of a while ago, but it's just kind of the irony is pretty amazing. But I think before I even talk about that first Corinthians, first Corinthians 13 and what it actually says, which is what I'm going to do. Um, I want to first say like, just for a second, like what is love? Cause obviously this is, this podcast is kind of a biblical view of love. That's, that's basically what we've got going and And yet it's relevant because even in um, the least likely place, like the basement of the Theta house, not only am I reading this verse, but I'm amongst people who are seeking love. And like, yeah, kind of, we all are. I mean, it's one of the very basic human needs is to love and to be loved in return. So what is it, right? Like, what is love? And I think, again, I also think that's like a question you could ask and then spend the rest of your life turning on. But like in John, I think in the Bible, it's very simply put, God is love. But then it's like, what is God? And that's like a whole other ball of wax. It's could be answered on in so many different ways. There's actually a really cool podcast that Peter Rollins did with um, Rob Bell maybe a few months ago on um, kind of like the definition of God. And his, his Peter Rollins' entire work on God is very, I find, <coughs> excuse me, contemporary and relevant and um, uh, interesting, whether or not you're a religious person or think of yourself as a religious person, if you just think of yourself as a person looking for, um, meaning and a good, happy life, like it's, it's a, it's a relevant conversation, but moving on, what is love? I think one of the easiest ways to look at that is what is love not? And I think whether we realize it or not, most of us are pretty much experts on this. And I think Um, Growing up, I thought that love was really loyalty is what I thought love was. I thought it was um, like no matter how someone treated you or no matter how awful they were to you or to other people or 
no matter what you truly thought, felt, or believed, you stayed loyal to whatever that means, like loyal to their image to the public, loyal to their um, image, their self-conception that they need to preserve, loyal to their sense of denial. Um, And that really is not love. I mean, I'll tell you, that is um, dysfunction. But I also thought that love was um, that feeling of adoration of that experience of falling in love, that, that melting together feeling. And I don't think that's not love. I actually think that is kind of a manifestation of love, but like th- that can't, that's way too small to encapsulate like the, the entire world and like what love is. It's not just the romantic phase of the beginning of a relationship. Right. So like, you know, the, a man's meaning is as big as the world he lives in. So when you're a teenager, the meaning of the world word love is absolutely only as big as the world you're living in. So it's something like that feeling of adoration kind of makes sense. You know, um, I saw love, well, this actually isn't my personal view, but, um, as I've continued to work with clients, I see a lot of love as dependence. Like my kids love me if they need me or I can't grow my business because my husband won't feel like I love him anymore. Meaning I won't be dependent on him. So need independence can be masks for love. They're not, they're not love. Um, Money can be seen as love. Like if you buy me stuff, you love me. I see that a lot. Like I just don't feel loved unless I am given these things or you pay for the mortgage or you know, any of that stuff. And then love can be more like, um, sexual desire is a lot of times mistaken for love. So not to go on and on, we'll just kind of move on from that point, but you stop and you think, um, why even have this conversation about why, what isn't love? And you look at a life in pursuit of any of these things, thinking that it is love something which love really can give you meaning and bring fulfillment to your life. So to seek these things, think, thinking their love is chasing windmills, right? It's looking for things that um, can only bring you pain and heartache, but you're calling it the thing that actually really can help and heal, help you heal, help you find purpose, help guide your way in life. So it's, it's, you know, we identify the things that, um, that aren't love to say, Oh, when I'm chasing that, it's totally fine to chase that. But to think that I'll feel like this, like the feeling of being loved, which to me, to think that is to, um, is to really like waste your time. You'll, it's just a hamster wheel. Cause love really, what is it? Acceptance. It's total unconditional acceptance. I see you. I accept you. I'm not going to change you. It's, it's, not conditional on if you're good, if you're bad, how you treat me, how you treat other people, right? I mean, it's very, very, we're going to get to the kind of like ultimate um, point of all of this at the end of the podcast, but it's very, um, very difficult to not kind of start talking about God when you start talking about love that big. Or, and, and we don't have to use the word God, right? Like I just, um, because this particular podcast is dealing with the Bible, that kind of is the word I'm using, but talking about like something divine, something sacred, something holy. I mean, just all of that, that sense of um, awe would be a great word. Gets invoked when you really take love, the love conversation to 
um, the place that it needs to go in our culture, the depth that we need and the depth we need in our lives. Like this is, this is the conversation. Okay. So moving on first Corinthians 13. So finding fulfillment, how to stop wondering, is this all there is? Is this the point of life? First Corinthians 13 tells us how to find the answers to those questions. And I'm going to read just a bit of it and to talk about sort of like what's it saying and why is it relevant to us? So, and again, remember, I read this in the basement of Theta for an entire year. And believe it or not, I gave this talk at the end of the year. And like the amount of sweat that poured from my body during before and during that talk is like never before has anyone been so nervous about anything, but I felt like, why are we listening to these words and what do they even mean? You know? So I've practiced this (laughs) in front of a very tough audience. First Corinthians 13 says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clinging symbol. If I speak in the tongues, so tongues can also be like languages of men's or, of men or angels, but I don't have love. So I'm just talking, but I don't have love in my heart. I don't have love in my mind. I'm not motivated by love. I'm only like a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. So like I'm noise. So, you know, when you think about talking to your kids, t- talking to your coworkers, talking to the people that you um, want to hear you, your, your words are noise if you are um, divorced from love. So it's like, okay, that's kind of important. Love sounds like it's an important ingredient to not be a clanging symbol of a person. I think we all know clanging symbols of people. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, I never stop talking. And like, what does any of it mean? It's just noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. So again, it's like these um, great gifts we can have, like the gift of prophecy. I would uh, liken that to like the, a, a sense of strategy and intuition. So, you know, somebody who is uh, in the, like the world of finance, a financial planner, it's just, um, a matter of having a knack for um, predicting how those markets go, right? That's a gift of prophecy in the modern term, the modern world. It doesn't have to be like Moses on the mountain. And then if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, so it's like a very, very smart person. We all know people who are technically geniuses. Maybe we don't all. I know like one person who is a, an actual genius. And, and that person to me feels like he can fathom all mysteries and know all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains. So then again, this is like, if I, um, if I have such deep belief and conviction in my values and my work and my service and my, um, you know, like in my God, whatever that faith might be, but do not have love. I am nothing. So it's like these here we're given all these tremendous gifts, but without love, it's like, it's worthless. So it's, it's setting us up to see that love is actually a very, very important ingredient for us to be something, right? I am nothing. It's what it says. So if we want to be something, even with all of our big brains, we still need love to have to mount anything. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast. So that's like that person, that, that bleeding heart liberal, <laughs> 
that person who will do anything to help the poor people, but have not love, I gain nothing. All right, so we aren't told anything about what love is, but we're given a very, very clear picture of what it looks like and what the result is of our lives if we don't have love. Love it. So then what is love? This is where, this is where it gets classic that we know um, these words might sound familiar. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. So just to stop for a second, and we're not going to go like line for line through this because I don't know that that's um, ultimately that useful, but say love is patient. Think about the last time you drove your car and never looked at your phone. Like didn't change the song, didn't check the text message, didn't look at Instagram when you're in traffic. I mean, honestly, think of a time when you did not pick up your phone. So like, you're not patient. I'm not patient. We're not patient people. So love is patient. So just that right there, like the first three words of what love is, is like not a very modern vibe, you know, like patience just isn't very our culture. I'm not, I don't mean to indict anybody by saying like, we're checking our phones constantly. It's just a reflection of our impatience and how, um, which is kind of an instant gratification culture. And that's just, that is just not love. Love is kind. I saw this interview of Maya Angelou, um, on the own channel network, I believe network or channel, I guess it's a channel. I saw it on own and she talked about how to be brave and this is uh, the year of her death. Maya Angelou is being interviewed. And she said, when you have to walk up into that podium, whether it's metaphorically, like do something big or literally like get in front of a bunch of people, you just take with you everyone who's ever been kind to you. And I mean, it kind of even gets me a little bit choked up as I say it. I mean, at the time, I definitely brought tears in my eyes because I mean, that is the power of kindness. It touches our hearts and it, honestly, it opens our hearts in a way that's very, it's powerful. And love is that. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. So when you think about somebody who boasts, have you you seen anyone in the media like lately who's boastful about their own accomplishments and how great they are and I don't know. I'm just like trying to think of like any men who've recently come into power who are very boastful and prideful. So, I mean, when you see that, you just know that's not love. That's not love. It does not dishonor others. So, you know, to slander somebody else, to call them names, to try to mar their reputation is just trying to dishonor them. That's not love. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Whoa. I mean, so those are a lot of always. Um, It starts to, we start to see that love is actually like a very, very powerful force. And to, to say that, like, um, oh, my gosh, I love the Kardashians. <laughs> We're starting to be like, oh, okay, so maybe that's not love. Maybe that's, like, I find them entertaining. Because love has become, it's painting, the Bible's painting this picture that love is this very, it's big. It's powerful. And it is 
feeling pretty good up in here. I mean, when I read this and start talking about it and explaining what this, these words are trying to tell us, it's like, wow, wouldn't you love some more love? Love never fails, never fails. We, who, who else never fails? Unfortunately, the Falcons do fail for, unfortunately for Atlanta, we fail. I mean, that's part of being human, right? So love obviously isn't human. Love isn't a football team. Love isn't anything really bodily because our bodies fail us. The plants die. I mean, everything kind of fails in the end, but that's not love. So love is something greater than like our physical bodies, our physical, our physicality. Love isn't really something you can quantify or measure, right? But where there are prophecies, oh, this is where things get a little confusing. And then we'll end with um, one final note about sort of like um, next week we're going to do the manifestation of love in terms of partnership. But this is kind of like, we'll end with like kind of the bridge to partnership. But this last little piece is very, very important, but it's really kind of confusing. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophecy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So all of this like prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled, where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. That's just like what I just said, right? Everything's transient. You know, the prophecies, the predictions, like they'll come to pass. The all our knowledge will pass away for all of our big brains. Eventually there's gonna be nothing. Our universe is expanding and expanding and expanding until, you know, who knows how this all ends. Um, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So it's sort of like there's this uh, constant reference to wholeness, completion, redemption in the Bible that is um, has many interpretations. And so one very, very literal interpretation is like the rapture, where literally the people that believed in Jesus and currently believe in Jesus get taken up. So like there's a Christian book series called Left Behind that explores what it would be like if the rapture happened. And of course, the the book actually follows the people that are left behind. And it's a little bit like, you know, to scare you into being a Christian. It's kind of how I always felt like that whole, that whole like literal reading of this, um, this aspect of what is taught in the Bible. But if you think of completeness or wholeness as more like um, maybe what happens when you align yourself with love then, so it's something that can happen in this moment, then what is in part disappears. So that the verse explains that when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And the, I believe the, the King James Version says, I put away childish things. I'm reading the New International Version, which is like a little bit more uh, modern language. Um, I put away childish things. So, you know, that is referring to some of the things we've, we've explored that love is not like enviousness might be considered childish. Boasting is childish. Proud is childish. Dishonoring others is childish. Self-seeking is childish. Men and women who, um, engage in, engage in these activities seem to those of us that are not at that level anymore as childish. And I don't mean like literal children. I mean, I have a little, little toddler and 
she exhibits some of these qualities and she doesn't exhibit others. But when the Bible talks about um, behaving like a child, it's, it's metaphorical. Like to be childish can be a literal child or just um, your immaturity. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What does that mean? So to say, um, to say that is, uh, there's an easy explanation for the end of this passage is to, um, to rob ourselves of all the different ways we can look at this, but I will offer you the way I see this answering the question of what is love. So now I know in part, and then I am, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. As I am fully known is like I to say like um, there is there is a force or there is a um, a creator or there's some kind of a divine intelligence that's running this entire show that fully knows me knows everything I've ever done knows everything I've ever thought knows what I'm gonna do and knows all the things that I don't even want to know about myself knows the things that I do want to know about myself you know. And there'll be a time when I shall fully know, I shall know fully, even like I am fully known by that force. So like, you know, you see a reflection in the mirror. Like when you look at um, somebody else's misdeeds, how you interpret them is a reflection of you. So if I look at the acts of um, one of the many very sad instances of, you know, like, um, random shooting. And I can say, Oh, what kind of sick I would ever do that. He should be drug out in the streets and da, 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 da. Right. Like I can have a reaction that's very, that vilifies that guy. Or I can have a reaction that's like, what environment produced him? Why do we have a culture where that person gets to that point? It's um, the two different reactions are they're in both cases are reflections of me. The first is perhaps um, the interpretation of somebody who has not, who is not fully known to themselves. And the second is someone who's more fully known. So rather than seeing the first would be, I see the reflection in the mirror. The second is, Ah, I see face to face. I see the face of humanity on all people. To conclude, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So faith, hope, and love, it's sort of like, um, those are the big ones. You need faith, you gotta have hope. And we're dead without love, but the greatest is love. So, you know, just in the brief, conversation we're having around first Corinthians 13, the giant importance of love is like, I mean, very, very apparent, both in terms of the way we see the world, but also how we are in the world and also the impact we have in the world. And all of that informs how we feel. Like, do I feel fulfilled? If I'm acting without love, I'm not going to feel fulfilled. Even if I have all mysteries and all knowledge in my head, right? So when I need, when it's time for me to stop wondering, is this all there is? It's the moment I can start looking and trying to find love 
is when I stop feeling like this is a puzzle with one piece missing, like what, what, something isn't here that needs to be here. Again, this is not an indictment. This is an answer. This is an offering or an opportunity. This is an open door for us to walk through. So at the end of the day, like, what is it still? Like, are we, have, we still haven't really, really defined it, right? I mean, again, going back to the, the basement of Theta, it's like kids talking to kids, talk about childish things. But even in that basement, we have the opportunity for love. Because there's a really cool book. Eh, I don't know if it's really cool, but it's an interesting book by C.S. Lewis on the four loves. I think it's the four loves. Um, but it's really not four loves. It's like four things that you think of as love and the one thing that really is love. <clears throat> and C.S. Lewis is like a very famous Christian writer from um, the 20th century, in fact, since we're now well into the 21st century. Very, very smart guy, and he's very, um, he's a scholar, truly, and came to Christianity uh, later in life as well. So he's got an interesting kind of conversion story. And I mean, at the end of the day, I find him compelling in the in his conviction of um, of like service to people, and in all of his writings is ultimately trying to like. Um, offer things to help people in their lives more than he has a lot of work. That's also like trying to convince you to be a Christian, which is like, I just don't find that to be a useful conversation. But, um, this book is a great answer to what is love. So there's basically four different kinds and the, I'm not going to get into them. I'll tell you what they are, but the three of them just aren't love. He's just calling them that. I think it's almost kind of like marketing tactic. <laughs> I don't know if C.S. Lewis was thinking about marketing, but that's how I see it. Um, so the first thing is um, that he uses, like, I think Greek words. It's uh, storge or, like, uh, liking someone. Like, you know, you think this is a good guy. You think it's a good girl. You have good feelings toward them. How you feel towards Taylor Swift. It's like, oh, yeah, she's, like, seems to be a somewhat positive role model. Then there's philia which is like friendship. And this is, he considers it like the really close friendship. So the friends that are like family or perhaps your siblings. And then there's Eros or erotic bond. And this is like the, the thing that I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast about when you fall in love with somebody and thinking that of that as your romantic as love. So he's like, well, that's a kind of love, but the ultimate love. So the thing that's a really love is the agape or unconditional or God love. And that's the love that we just talked about that always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. So it's a love that exists regardless of changing circumstances. And at the end of the day, it's like, um, he sees it as like the love of God. It's like a gift to us. It's not even a human love, but I think that is really robbing us of an opportunity to um, embrace what love is um, in our lives and, and then to have the impact and the meaning and the, it to seek something we can actually find like today. So, um, I remember when my daughter was born, I remember the moment I first held her and like so many of us, when we first become parents, like my world turned on its head. And I remember I like, I just was in such shock that this creature could be mine and this would be my daughter and that she was real and just like everything I was feeling. And 
it makes me teary just talking about it, but I remember I looked around the room. Somehow that was full of people. I don't really know who opened the door and at what point. There were like five or six different staff people just like crying, staring at us. I mean, we had a very intense birth experience that was not unsafe. It was just very intense as birth is, right? I mean, it's life, birth, and death, um, the big ones. And it was like, this is the moment where my whole life begins. And if I were going to think of one word besides love to describe that, I would say connection. I never felt so connected to somebody or so connected to myself. And then I am in this room. My husband's right there. I'm sure his head's as much exploding as mine, as mine is at this point, but just to feel like that sense of community with a bunch of strangers who I will never see again, who, you know, one or two of them kind of saved my life just by physically being there with me and having guided me through an experience I was not prepared for. I mean, what's more connected than that? Oh, it's good stuff. It is good stuff. These are good things we're talking about. So I hope, my hope is that this has been um, relevant, helpful, and interesting. And you'll be the judge (laughs) of that. But the next uh, part two of this is going to be about, I think, is going to be about the partnership aspect of love, because that is, I think, essential, essential to, um, again, finding that kind of like fulfillment, having that sense of rewarding gratitude and meaning and elation and happiness. I mean, all the, we just all want to feel good. And I, I don't think we can get there without love and that and that big umbrella of love underneath it includes partnership. And that's like, you know, romantic partnership, of course. And others, other kinds too. I mean, we don't have to have romantic partnership to have the satisfaction of partnership in the way that we need it. Um, how to be a good partner. What does a good partnership look like? What does an unhealthy partnership look like for those of us that are entering into relationships and wondering, I don't know, is this the way things go? Is this how you talk to somebody? Like, is this the way you treat people? I mean, these are all important things for us to learn and be conscious of. So (coughs) hopefully next time I'll be on the mend. It's been a, um, it's been a winter full of getting sick for me. I'm sure it's meaningful, but, um, I don't have the answer. Perhaps the meaning is that I have a two-year-old and she just started school this year and I'm catching everything that she's catching, which is also everything. Um, but that is all for today. You guys, um, please put comments up, uh, shoot me a note from my blog. It's lauriebeard.com. And yeah, see you next time. Sending love.